My uh, text for this message today is Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. These are the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us receive them as such. Let us pray. Lord, I just pray that you would glorify your, your name today in this message, that you would open the hearts of all those who need to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. What could be so good that a man would sell everything he had for it? Not just sell everything he had, but with joy he sold everything he had. What could be that good? Well, this message is mostly going to be going to be autobiographical about my life and how I relate to that same man who uh, found that treasure. I was raised in a Jewish family. The only thing I knew about Jesus Christ growing up was going to the Broadway show, Jesus Christ Superstar, <laughs> which my mother took me to. We lived just outside of New York City. The only other thing I knew was that Jews don't believe in Jesus. Those were the two, that was all I knew about Jesus. A year after uh, my bar mitzvah, in 1970, I was bar mitzvahed, and I, and I pretty much lost interest in religion at that time. And a year later, we moved to Florida. And my best friend in high school down here was an atheist, so I was very impressionable, so I became an atheist. After high school, I went to college and law school at the University of Florida in Gainesville. But I took a year off between college and law school. And about a month before law school started, I went on a trip by myself around the United States. I just was driving to um, different sports events. I was a huge sports fan. So, I was driving around the country, going to sports events, but more was happening than just going to sports events. I was, while on this trip, I would go to plazas and parks and talk to people, and I got in deep conversations with people about their lives, about my life, about our problems, and something began happening through these conversations. I started to think about God, I started thinking, maybe if there is a God, the place where he's at is, this, is the place of where you are your true self, where you know who you really are, You're, you were made, where you were, at that point where you were made who you were created to be. Just before the trip, my favorite artist or musician had come out with a new album 
His name, you might know him, his name is Bob Dylan. He came out with a Christ, the rumors were it was a Christian album and that Bob Dylan had become a born again Christian. So I got the album before the, I went on this trip and I listened to it. And after listening to it, I was uh, confirmed, yes, this man has become a Christian. I was dis disgusted. <laughs> but on the trip, after having these thoughts about God, I was driving from Detroit to Cincinnati, and I had brought the album on cassette. That's what we listened to back then. <laughs> and, and I decided I would give it another listen. And this time when I listened to it, not only was I not disgusted, every word just pierced my heart straight to my heart, confirming everything I was thinking. I wouldn't say I had become a Christian yet, but I was starting to think that maybe Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. You know, I, I didn't even know that the word Christ is Greek for Messiah. I thought it was his last name. <laughs> so I got to Cincinnati and I went to a couple of baseball games there but one of the things I would do when I was in a city would be to ask people where to go to get a feel for their city somebody told me to go to a place called Eden Park well the I had gone to two games and I was going to be leaving the next morning, so it was about midnight, and I drove up to Eden Park. I was walking around the park and saw a man sitting by a bench. And as I was doing on that trip, I was going up to strangers and just talking to them. So I went up to this man and asked him what he was doing here at this park at midnight. And he said he had come to think about some problems he was having. I said, I don't know what your problems are, but whatever they are, you just have to do what's in your heart and do the best you can. And that's all you can ask of yourself. He said, sit down. <laughs> Turns out this man was a Christian, and he asked me what I thought about Jesus and what I thought about God. And I said to him, I said, to tell you the truth, I feel really cheated. He said, why? I said, because here was a man who was the most together person with God. He knew the way with God, to God. He was one with God. And I don't get to meet him. I don't get to talk to him. I don't even get to touch him. And, excuse me. So, so after I told him that, he told me a story from the Bible. It was about Jesus healing a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And when the man telling me the story told me the part where Jesus said to the man with the withered hand, stretch out your hand, it was like I felt an electrical charge 
from my heart, down my arm, to my hand, like it was withered and stretched out and healed. That's exactly the way it felt. And I was overwhelmed. So the man asked me, do you believe in Jesus? I said, yes, yes, I do. So he said, well, then you have to give your life to him. I said, my whole life? That's an awfully long time. (laughs) He said, that's just the way it is. You have to give your life to him and you have to say it out loud. So I said, let me think about it. (laughs) And I did what Jesus called counting the cost. In Luke 14, 31 to 33, it says, or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. So I started thinking, what is that atheist friend in high school going to think about this? And I heard an inaudible voice, inaudible, means it wasn't really out loud, but I heard this voice clearly in my head say, it's better with me than without me. And then I thought, what are mom and dad gonna think? And I heard that inaudible voice again, it's better with me than without me. So I knew I was trapped. I gave gave my life to Jesus on September 13th, 1979. just the beginning of the story. (laughs) Immediately I was filled with peace and love and just wanted to show my family how much I loved them. The next day I was driving from Cincinnati to Atlanta and I stopped in Tennessee and just called my family just to say hi and I wasn't talking about anything that earth-shaking, but my younger brother got on the phone. He was 16 years old. I was just asking him how he was doing and things like that. And he says to me, you sound different. I said, what do you mean? He said, you don't sound like, and he said that atheist friend's name. He said, you don't sound like him anymore. I said, well, what do I sound like? He said, you sound like you. He said, you know who you sound like? You sound like Moses when he came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments. I said, oh, I'll have to tell you about that sometime. Ten years later, he became a believer too. Two and a half years ago, he passed away from COVID at the very beginning of the pandemic. But he's with the Lord now. So after I got home from that trip, I started law school. And a lot of miracles, a lot of prayers were answered. It was an incredible first year. But at at the same time, I was feeling very frustrated in that first year of law school. I I tried some churches, and I just couldn't find one that I felt comfortable with. So my only pseudo-church was this Bible study group of 
four or five Christian law students. Yes, that's not an oxymoron. And, and um, they were talking about how to reach the law school for Christ. And I said, I said to them, why don't we just love everybody? They said, oh, you're such a baby Christian. <laughs> but I was also frustrated. I, I, I was scared to tell my parents that I had become a Christian. I, I didn't tell them for a year. I, it turns out I shouldn't have been scared because just last night my mother, who's now 89, told me that she immediately noticed in the first few weeks after that trip a total change in me, that I had gone from a negative, bitter person to a positive, optimistic one. But I was scared at the time to tell them. And I was living with my older brother, not the one I talked, to about, talked about just a minute ago. I was living with my older brother at law school, and he was harassing me for my beliefs a lot. He's a Christian now, too, by the way. <laughs> and um, so I was praying one night, and I heard that inaudible voice again. And this time it said, Go to Minneapolis. I did not know a soul in Minneapolis. I had never been near Minneapolis. The closest I got was on that trip in Detroit. But it stayed with me the entire three years of law school. That thought just stayed in my mind. And after law school was over, I was in Fort Lauderdale. Wasn't finding a job. And I had a good friend from law school who was from Chicago. And he said, how would you like to drive up to Chicago for a vacation? I said, fine, but you're going to fly back because I'm going to Minneapolis. So in 1983, at the age of 26, I left everything I had except what fit in two suitcases and went to Minneapolis. As it says in Matthew 19:29, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Well, I immediately got hooked up with a great church. It had about 200 people, not in the church, but in the singles group. And they became like my family. One of those two suitcases I went up with was actually stolen out of my car. They gave me clothes and things. They put me up on their couches and until I found a job. Uh, they let me stay at their places. They did my laundry. They, they were great. I don't think I would have made it in Minnesota if it wasn't for that church. But I did get a job, and I'm, now I'm going to fast forward nine years to 1992, still in Minnesota, and that's when I met my wife, and we got married in 1994 at a park. We had an outdoor wedding on Labor Day at a park in Minneapolis, and it was 50 degrees and raining. <laughs> Don't plan outdoor events in Minnesota. As Acts 14.22 says, 
we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And I went through mine. In 1998, I was diagnosed with leukemia. And I had a bone marrow transplant. I was in the hospital for, for a whole month. And my younger brother was the donor. And that lasted for about two years, but in 2001, I relapsed. The leukemia came back. And now there wasn't much left to do, and I was pretty much going to die. I guess, as you can see, I didn't. <laughs> and the reason I didn't is because my wife saved my life. She did, was doing research and found out about a new drug, a brand new drug, just for the type of leukemia that I had, that was on a clinical trial. And she got my doctor to get me on that clinical trial in Houston, in Houston Texas. And after being on that trial drug for three months, I, in three months I was in total remission. I still take that pill once a day for the last 22 years, and I've been in remission ever since. Now fast forward to 2015. That's when I retired from my state job, which I had for 25 years. I was retired for three months, then I went into another field called healthcare credentialing. And at the end of 2017, due to uh, some family circumstances that I don't really have time to go into all of them right now, but I had to move back from Minnesota to Fort Lauderdale. My wife and I had purchased a condominium to use for vacations right near my mother. So I moved down here at the end of 2017 and my wife stayed at our house in Minnesota where her sister lived. She was very close to her. And she would stay in the house in Minnesota in the summer and come down here and be with me in the winters. But in 2018, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer again. This time it was thyroid cancer. And I had to have surgery to, uh, to get it all out. And the surgery was in July of 2018. And even though she hated the Florida summer, my wife came down and nursed me back to health. And I've been in remission from that cancer since, too. So I'd say the last few years, from, from then to, to last year, those were the best years of my marriage. We had a great trip to Spain in 2019. But as many as you might know, my wife passed away last July. She had uh, autoimmune hepatitis and her own liver attacked her and she died of liver disease. She died on July 26th. Those, those first three months were horrible for me. I still went to work, in fact work was good therapy for me. 
that when I came home from work, I would usually just go straight to bed. I wouldn't even eat dinner. And I'd just lay in bed. But what I was doing while I was laying in bed was I listened to sermons on my phone or Christian teaching. And uh, one of the sermons, a lot of the sermons were by uh, my former pastor in Minnesota, John Piper. And I went, would go to bed each night and I'd pray, not my will be done, but yours, your will be done, God. And that just got me through. Not only that, I went to Grief Share, which you heard about earlier in the service, and I really recommend Grief Share. And early in November, I had kind of a breakthrough. It was a two-part breakthrough, I'd call it. The first part was listening to a sermon by John Piper. It was called The Joy of the Puritans. And uh, I recommend you do a search and listen to that sermon. It was a great sermon about joy. And he talked about Jesus giving the first commandment, that all the laws summed up in the commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. He said that you could do all the good deeds and believe all the right things, but if you don't love him with all your heart, they don't really mean anything. The key is to love him with all your heart. As it says in Luke 6:45, a good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. The other breakthrough was I was driving to a doctor's appointment on November 2nd, and I was listening to a radio show on 89.3 uh, Christian Radio with Chris Brooks, and it was a talk show with Colin, a Colin talk show. Well, guess who his guest happened to be on that day? John Piper. <laughs> he was talking about his new book, which you can't, it's called What is Saving Faith, which I... I also recommend. But anyway, a caller called in to the show and said to Dr. Piper that he had just lost his wife. And he said, you're talking about fighting for joy. How do I fight for joy when I've just lost my wife? And Piper said, there is a time for mourning. The Bible says to grieve with those who grieve, mourn with those who mourn, weep with, weep with those who weep, and mourn with those who mourn. So there is a time for mourning. But then he uses scripture that I really wasn't familiar with. It's a part of a long sentence in 2 Corinthians 6 where Paul is talking about the difficulties he had endured. And the key parts of the scripture are this. Rather, as servants of God, 
We commend ourselves in every way, in great endurance, in troubles, hardships, and distresses. And yet we live on, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And that's the part that hit me, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. I started to make that my prayer every day. And not only that, when people would start, would ask me how I'm doing, I would say, sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And like the man who found the treasure in the field, I guess I had given up everything I had for that treasure. I said at the beginning of the message, what could be so great that a man would give up everything with joy for a treasure? Well, here's a few things. Not only does he, Jesus forgive all our sins, he's the only one who can forgive us all our sins. He gives us the hope of eternal life. In 2001, when I was thinking I was going to die, I wasn't scared because I knew about it, that I would have eternal life. And not only does he give us forgiveness of sins and eternal life, he gives us his presence, his peace, his confidence, his assurance. We don't have to fear any person. We just have to fear God. He gave us life, abundant life. Throughout November, throughout November and December, the waves of grief started to subside. And as we read earlier in in the service, in Psalm 1611, it says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. I have learned that this treasure is worth more than any pleasure this world has to offer. And not only is it worth more than any pleasure this world has to offer, it's worth more than any pain this world has to offer. According to C.S. Lewis, our problem is not that we want too much, it's that we want too little. We go around chasing after things to make us happy instead of the treasure. Lewis said it like this, he said, we're like children making mud pies in a slum because they can't imagine a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. I'm not saying don't have interests and hobbies. I certainly love, still love sports. But if you don't love Jesus as your supreme treasure, as uh, Piper puts it, maybe you're too focused on being pleased by pleasures of this world. Maybe you might have fears or concerns or sorrows, like I did. But as it says in 2 Corinthians 4, verses 16 to 18, Therefore we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory, that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, 
but what is unseen is eternal. I still get discouraged at times, like we all do. But the biggest difference in my life the last few years has been reading the Bible every day. I don't know where I would be if I didn't do that. I think you need a set time when you will read the Bible. Don't just expect it to happen. You need a set place where you will read the Bible, and you need a set way where you will read the Bible. If you're new to the Bible, I would just start with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Go on to Acts and the letters. If you're not new and you could do what I do, for the last few years I've been reading the Bible through in a year according to a reading plan. You don't have to do it that way. You could study a book, use a devotional. It's just, to me, that's what's made the difference in my life. The Bible is just full of hundreds of great promises we can rely on. Here's just a few of them. Isaiah 41.10 So do not fear, for, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Romans 8.28 and 32 and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He who did not spare his own son but gave, up, gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? I'm going to let my wife close this message for me. Just a few weeks ago, a friend of mine sent me something he found my wife had posted on a website called classmates.com. I had never seen it before. She posted it when we lived in Minnesota. And I, when, I, when I saw this a few weeks ago, it was like I heard my wife talking to me from heaven. This is what she wrote. I'm married to a wonderful man named Bruce, parentheses, who enjoys all sports, parentheses. I work in human resources and love what I do. If you're visiting Minneapolis, please give me a call. We can show you around or have a bite to eat. Then she said this, this is the part I want you to hear the most. She said, it took me a long time to figure out who I was, and I took many wrong turns before I learned that there is a God and I'm not him. Life is a great adventure. While we aren't promised that life won't be hard, parentheses, it is, parentheses, we don't have to do it alone. So, in conclusion, is Jesus your ticket, your teacher, or your treasure? Is he just your ticket to heaven? Is he just your teacher who tells you how to do good things and be a good person and be a good Christian, do all the right things? Or is he your treasure, like the man in the parable, that you receive with joy, even if it costs everything you have?
Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this treasure. We thank you so much for Jesus. I pray that whatever might be hindering anyone from turning to you, that you you break through that and help us all, help us all to look to him and that peace that passes all understanding. In Jesus' name, amen.